on this Celtics team, I don't know how much you've been able to watch, but what, what have you observed from them that maybe you could apply to, whether it's your own team or any <coughs> team, uh, from a coaching perspective? Well, I mean, obviously they, they played great in the last uh, two-thirds of the season in the playoffs. And, um, you know, really consistent. They got a lot of good players and play really good defense. Well, they're tough. They hustle. Play smart basketball. Pleasure to watch. Fun to watch. Yeah, I can tell he really enjoys the good Celtics game. Thrilled by it. Johnny personality. <laughs> and it just shows you that, like there's nothing about that answer that in any way would have revealed any type of strategic element of what he's thinking about the Patriots. No, or he what he thinks about the Celtics, the, how it applies guarded, to his team. Yeah. This guarded demeanor. And, and that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. He's he's allowed to act however he wants. He's the greatest of all time if he wants to have. And it's because I say that because people tell me all the time he's got such a great personality. Yeah, I know he football. does. Well, he does. How far do you have to get him away from football it's before it happens? Far. Is it like a magnet that completely changes him into a different person? But you will get the periodic. Somebody asks some random obscure question about a long snapper from 1942, and I'll go on this 8,000 word monologue about some specific nuance of football that he just happens to find fascinating and that he's confident has no relevance whatsoever to what it is he's trying to do with the New England Patriots. I still, I saw a a picture of him like waving a let's go Celtics towel. You know, you and I have argued about this before. I still believe that deep down when you're in one market, deep down, like, the football team really doesn't want the basketball team to win a championship. They have to act like it, but they really don't want it to happen because they want to be the kings of the market. They don't want to get left behind. Hey, the Bruins are winning, and the Celtics are winning, and the Red Sox are winning, and we stink now. You want to be the best in the market. And it's easier to get behind the other teams in the market winning championships while you are. I think it's just harder. I Because, again, there's only so many dollars. There's only so many eyeballs. There's only so many season tickets you can buy. You want to be the king of your market. And I think that that is one of the realities, one of the business realities that 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 is below the surface of the idea that rah, 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 we root for all the other teams in our market. I, I could see that being a thing with the owners. I don't know if I buy that, you know, as we've discussed this a little before, with the players and the coaches. I don't. And, and especially I wouldn't say in New England because I think they do fit that, you know, bill what you're talking about there as far as – you know, they're comfortable. They are the king of that market. And, of course, football is such king of every market. I feel like it's hard to be insecure about that. But I can speak to, like, experience as far as, you know, being in a town where teams going to the playoffs or doing stuff like that. And I feel like the players in the locker room, you know, they're, they're not that in deep thought. That They're just not that deep that way, football players, to think like, oh, man, wait, if they win the championship, now people might like them more and they might not like us quite as much. I think more players look at it like, man, this is a great place. You know, this is an awesome sports town, and hopefully they can win it, and then we can come back and win it too, and we can dominate the sports in America here in this city. I feel like that's at least the, the players I was around. That's kind of how we approached it when you know, we were in Tampa and – you know, maybe the Lightning were making a playoff run, or you know, even in Denver at the time we, when I was playing for the Broncos, they had um, 
you know, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Carmelo Anthony, and it was the same type of thing where there was genuine excitement from, from the players when they were in the playoffs. It's definitely an owner dynamic because right. for years, yeah. owners weren't allowed to own other teams yeah. in their own market. That's they made right. an ex- exception for Wayne Heisenga when he owned the then Florida Marlins, Marlins and right. bought the Miami Dolphins. And then they made the exception for Stan Kroenke when he became the majority owner of the Rams when he owned the Denver Nuggets and the Colorado Avalanche. And he has family members that still like they crafted some exception that technically isn't but is where you have cross ownership allowed because in theory the nuggets and the avalanche are competing with the broncos in that market and they were at the point in the 90s early 90s where they didn't even want an owner's attention diluted to running another team in the same market because they do have a level of competition baseball competes with football competes with hockey competes with basketball especially when a market has all four teams so it is an ownership thing and speaking of ownership we know that robert Kraft, the owner of the patriots not thrilled with the fact that the team hasn't won a playoff game for three years because he said that publicly during the league meeting so they're trying to build towards something that can get to the playoffs and actually win when they get there here is receiver Devontae parker and cornerback malcolm butler who's back with the patriots after several year absence yesterday at otas talking about the leadership abilities of the quarterback, Mac Jones, who hopefully in his second year will lead the Patriots back to the playoffs and actually win a game there. He's a he's like a he's a leader. You know, he's a young guy, but he's I say he's vocal as a leader, and that's what this team needs. And even though it's my I've been out here a few few weeks, but I still see it though. I, I like Mac. You know, I was at home watching him. Um, he's, he got great energy on and off the field, and um, I like him. I like him. Uh, his confidence, his swagger. I love that about him. Think about Mac Jones last year, arriving in New England, and who's there? Cam Newton, the big personality, one of the largest personalities in the entire National Football League. As the starter, he's the guy. Everyone loves him, magnetic personality. And here's the rookie just trying to get his feet wet and figure out where to go and how this all works. And now, this year, there's no Cam Newton. This year, start to finish, from the day he walks through the door until week one, he's the guy. I think it does give you an opportunity to grow, to develop, to come out of your shell a little bit, to be vocal and kind of take over the way that we see Mac Jones doing it, Chris. I I think so. I mean, I agree with you. First off, when you play that way as a rookie and and do what you did on the football field, and, of course, we were going through a period of time where we were going, wait – Mac Jones is the rookie of the year. I mean, he was the rookie of the year until the last four or five weeks, and Jamar Chase just went off. So, you know, you have that, you know, as far as something to pelts on a wall, pelts on a horse, as far as like, okay, I can puff my chest out and be a leader. I mean, he was the quarterback of a team where we were sitting there in week 12 or 13 going, I think the Patriots are the best team in football. So that, of course, is going to encourage his leadership. And I think, Mike, the point you make also – should encourage his ability to you know show his personality and be a leader the fact that cam newton was there and that he didn't just outshine mac jones and mac jones leadership and personality was still felt through that organization even with somebody like cam newton there i think that says a lot about the guy too it's the one thing where 
hey, the look of the human being does not seem to match the words that comes out of everybody's mouth. Yeah, Mac Jones looks like a nerd, got a bad picture on the internet with his shirt off, but anybody you talk to, whether it was coming out in the draft, players that played with him in Alabama, they love him and seem to think he has an unbelievable way with players and coaches, and I think that's, of course, why he's kicking butt up there in New England. It really was a transformation more stunning than Clark Kent to Superman, which was basically guy takes off his glasses and his jacket, right? That's really all Clark Kent to Superman was. When you take Mac Jones from his Alabama uniform to his Patriots uniform, I mean, I mean, we, we thought it hurt his draft stock because he just looked kind of clunky and lumpy and misshapen Definitely. in his Alabama uniform. And then he shows up in this Patriots uniform, and he is. Where's the cape? I want to see him fly. What are his superpowers? He looked like a superhero. No doubt. I mean, it just, you know, never seemed to be phased at all. Just ready to go. So what? Bill Belichick, I'll buy in. I'll spite, speak right to the media and do all the things right on the football field. He does that. They get rid of Cam Newton. Boom, he hits the ground running. And really, again, I don't know what else more you can say about Mac Jones as far as like, wow. I mean, what he was asked to do. In year one of his career, whoa, taken over from Tom Brady two years later. He's on the schedule this year. They made a bunch of moves and free agency and stuff, and he came in there and brought them to the playoffs and really never blinked. Uh, that, that should give him the confidence to be the leader of the football team. That alone, I mean, that was a special, special first year for a guy in a very tough situation. It's not like they overmanaged him. They asked him to do a lot and really make a lot of big-time NFL throws throughout the season. And uh, the challenge this year, Josh McDaniel's gone, now the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. We, mm. We've had this persistent mystery of how involved is Bill Belichick, who's going to call the plays, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. It actually, I, we, we've seen what happens when you have revolving doors and quarterbacks having to get used to new coordinators. I, I actually think in a weird sort of way it may be good for Mac Jones the more Bill Belichick is involved because that ensures more continuity back to Josh McDaniel. I think the so. guy who ultimately yes. was, was was calling the shots as to what they were going to be doing offensively is still there and that's Bill Belichick. We never we, we quit thinking of him. I don't know when we I know. quit thinking of him as a defensive coach who just happened to be a head coach and he became a coach who was an expert in both sides of the ball, but he's the only defensive coach we think of that way. Really he's the only coach we think of as transcending whatever side of the ball it was that was his background before he became a head coach. No, no doubt. Uh, Mike, I, I mean, when I was working there, he ran the Monday morning quarterback meeting with Brady and the other quarterbacks, and they went over the film, and he did it and graded it and talked to I mean, so that's, that's rare. I mean, that really is. And I think your point about Belichick being involved is real, and I think that will continue to happen. What's different here about this situation, now it's not easy to replace McDaniels. He's the man, and of course is creative and knows how to tie things together in a way that, you know, even for New England is is pretty awesome. But the system itself is not like it's Josh McDaniels' system. It's New England's system. It was built through Josh McDaniels and Charlie Weiss and Bill Belichick, and that to me is 
going to give a leg up on this little weird situation they got on the offensive side of the ball with no offensive coordinator. You're right. Bill, they're gr- it's going to be groupthink led by Bill on how to approach, you know, third downs and first and second down and here's the plays I like and, you know, they'll know against those plays what works against what coverage is and it's, it's a New England system let alone, I guess, a little different than maybe just going this Josh McDaniel system that has left the building. It is amazing after so many years of the Patriots being regarded as the gold standard, the platinum standard in the NFL. They're just kind of nobody really has a feel for them this year. And even though they made the playoffs last year, I think that last memory of them getting the crap stomped out of them by the Bills on a Saturday night in the wild card round, it makes people think they're not going to be very good. And, you know, where, where is where is the evidence to think that they are going to compete with all of these great teams in the AFC? Well, the evidence is they have Bill Belichick. And the evidence is they're entering year two with Mac Jones. And he did pretty well last year. There were very low expectations for Mac Jones, especially when we didn't even think he was going to start, Chris. Um, I, I, I can't. I can't. I know that it's different without Tom Brady there. But I can't write off the Patriots because of Bill Belichick. I just can't do it. No, me neither. And, again, we, we know that they, that was a new team last year. You know, let's see. Year two, as we've discussed a lot, New England – you know, the intricacies and their schematical attack and everything they do there, it, it's, it's more intricate than other teams. And there's, there's a lot there to digest. And when you're from a new team and you've gone there, which they did last year, they had a, no, a whole new cast of characters. I'm sure there was things out of their playbook and things that got, kind of got left behind to where they'll be a little bit more advanced this year. Knowing that, hey, we got the core of these guys back and we're going to be better. So I'm certainly not counting them out. There's no doubt about that. And, yeah, you're right, Bill Belichick is the number one reason, and there's a lot of other good coaches there too. But the players on the pa- on paper, on the roster itself, it- it's still a really damn good group, but I expect them to be highly competitive, that's for sure. The new kings of the AFC East are the Buffalo Bills, but they've had some transition. Offensive coordinator Brian Dayball gets the head coaching job with the New York Giants. Ken Dorsey, the new offensive coordinator with Josh Allen. Here's Dorsey from yesterday on the benefit of already having that relationship with Josh Allen as he becomes the offensive coordinator. Obviously, I think it's very beneficial. I think it's a, a great, you know, opportunity to just kind of hit the ground running, you know, because there's not that feel out period of like trying to figure out, hey, you know, how does he see this or, or versus how do I see it? You know, uh, I, I talk with the quarterbacks a lot of, uh, you know, the philosophy of or, or the intent of the play, you know. So when you're calling something, I think that's it's so important that the quarterback has to know why you're calling it. What's the intent of the reason why you're calling it? Is it a shot play? Is it a, you know, more of a completion type play? You know, and building that trust level of, you know, them understanding that so they can make a good decision based off that situation in the game, you know. Um, so I think there's that constant communication. There's that constant kind of uh, a feeling out process back and forth. But I feel like we got a great head start because, you know, we spent so much time together and, and, and gone through and, and had these conversations, you know, in the past. He was the quarterback's coach from 2019 through 2021. And last year he added the passing game coordinator title to his resume. So Dorsey has been working with Josh Allen for the past three years, which does make it an easy transition. And Chris, I, I look at that, that extra 
title that he got last year, and I think that somebody in Buffalo had the foresight that Brian Dayball isn't going to be the head coach of this team forever, so we got to start getting Ken Dorsey ready. Yes, uh, agreed. This, to me, is kind of one of the more under-the-radar, most interesting things to watch, I think, in all of football. I do. Uh, Again, Brian Dayball is phenomenal offensive mind. Has been, you know, for a little while here. Of course, we know Buffalo, yeah, they're the Super Bowl favorite. And they got, you know, a quarterback that should help this transition because, you know, I mean, Allen and some of these superstars right now, I don't know if it matters, you know, half the time what play you call. They're so damn good, they're going to make it happen. They're just going to make it happen. So that's going to be nice for Dorsey to at least have that luxury there. But I, I still am very interested to see where this goes and what Ken Dorsey can bring to the table. You know, he's been in the league for a long, long time. You know, he's very deserving of this shot. But the one thing I'll say just to bring up for food for thought is as long as he's been in the league and he's been on the offensive side of the ball, an ex-quarterback, nobody's ever really got him into the, like, hey, we want you to be a serious contender for our offensive coordinator job. So that's, too, another thing that, again, I'm just I'm going to sit here and evaluate and see how it goes. But, you know, for that team with that quarterback and this situation, I think it's something to watch for and see where this offense is early on in the season. Fascinating path to the yeah. job that Ken Dorsey now holds. He entered the NFL as a seventh-round pick in 2003. My draft. Your year. Right. Your year. Um, he would have been drafted much higher if he could have thrown a football through the goalpost from 50 yards on his knees, but I digress. <laughs> Uh, he played for the 49ers for three seasons, played for the Browns for three seasons, was out of football in 2009, played for the Toronto Argonauts in 2010. Then he got into scouting. He was a scout for the Panthers 2011 and 2012, working with Brandon Bean in Carolina right. those two years. Became quarterbacks coach, position coach for Cam Newton in Carolina. 2013, 14, 15 is MVP season. Right. 16 and 17. And then 2018, I need to go back and research why this happened. Out in Carolina, he worked as the assistant athletic director at Florida International University for one year, 2018, before quarterbacks coach Buffalo 2019, Brandon Bean, his old friend and Sean colleague McDermott from Carolina, Carolina Sean McDermott, yeah. back there as well. Yeah, that's right. right. Let's bring in Ken Dorsey. Right. And now, after three seasons of grooming him, he becomes an offensive coordinator for the first ap- time in his career. It's a different approach. Like you're, you're, so you're saying it right. I mean, it's a, it's a different, you know, what, what do I want to say? Uh, you know, upward track there to get to where you are, definitely. No question. So that, that's where – that's all I'm saying. I'm hopeful – I really am. I love Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. You know that. And Sean McDermott have great respect for Ken Dorsey. But I, I think it is, you know, one of those, like, kind of the flying under the radar subjects that's going to be interesting to watch and, and see what he does to that offense. Do they stay as good? Do they get better? Do they fall off? Uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. By the way, he was the quarterback of the Miami team that won the 2001 Maybe the greatest team ever. Championship. And got so screwed over. Thing or two. Yeah, in 2002 with the uh, – the maybe the worst pass interference call ever. I mean, really, come on. That was on the other day. Like, have you have you ever gone back and seen that the the Miami Ohio State game and just kind of watched that back in real time since it happened? Do you remember that game 
right? The Wills no. McGee. I remember the game, but I've I've never I've never felt compelled to watch it again. Well, it was just no. one of those that was on like one of the ESPN channels. That was the Willis McGee. He hurt his knee game, right, and yeah. all that. Oh, awful. You know, it was awful. But when you watch it back again, you if that happened now. We would that would there would have been riots in the street, you know. It was very similar, almost to Saints Rams. I mean, the ball was thrown, the team was celebrating, people were running on the field, and the referee then threw the flag for pass interference. It was very questionable. Oh, and think about it in today's climate of yeah, utilized that would have gone crazy, coast, coast almost. Yeah, people would have lost their minds. So. We don't have to worry about Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen having any type of an awkward relationship because they have worked together for three years and they're on the same page and Josh Allen knows all the plays and all the play calls. So we won't have any moments like this at practice. Oh, how dare you? Courtney, you're fired. 22. Kristen, you're fired. We're not working together anymore. (laughs) Go green, right, X. Shift the Viper right. Green, right, X. Green right X, shift the Viper right. 382 X stick looking. Here we go, guys. Green right X, shift the Viper right. 382 Y stick looking on one. X stick looking on one. Let's go scatter to west right tight. F left. 372 Y stick Z spot. Here we go. Scatter to west right tight. F left. 382 Y stick Z. Christ. Just go scatter to west, right, tight, F left. Yeah. 372 Y stick Z spot. Excellent. Go. Scatter. Yeah, Y stick Z spot. Again, yeah, here we go. Scatter, say scatter. it again. Yeah. West, right, tight, F left. 372 Y stick Z spot. Here we go. Scatter to west. What right, he said. Tight. <laughs> what That's he said. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> I was so flustered. <laughs> Just really do what was. he said. That's exactly what. And I'm sitting there going, man, Michael Pittman's an awesome Christ. player, and I'm screwing I'm him over. Might make uh, me nervous, aren't I? I just couldn't spit it out. Oh, my gosh, I was so nervous. But that that's you've, – you've said before, playing in the games was actually a relief because oh. you didn't have to listen to Gruden. The oh, ultimate really. preparation for the pressure of playing in a game, it's actually easier to play in a game because I don't have that little son of a, you know what, yes. uh, messing with me. No doubt about it. We got over to Tokyo for our first preseason game, and I went, damn, this is easy playing the Jets. I don't have, you know, Napoleon behind me criticizing me <laughs> for everything I'm doing over here. So it was. It was a lot. It was a. It was a learning process there for sure. And man, did I choke bad on that day. I was so nervous, Mike. I don't think I was ever more nervous in my whole football life than probably my rookie training camp first three days, where I would be there stretching. And of course, they won the Super Bowl, and there's crazy personalities, and we were in full pads. And I would be like, man, I'm more nervous than this than I was for Texas Oklahoma or Texas Texas A&M. I mean, because of the offense, there's loudmouth sap yelling and everything. Oh, my gosh, I had knots in my stomach. Did you ever consider volunteering to be like a Chuck Bednarik? I'll play safety, too, so you never had to go to the sideline and deal with John Gruden? <laughs> yeah. I definitely, like, I'll just stay out here. I definitely had some moments of, like, a bad series and looking where he was in the sideline and going – I'm going to run to the other side right off the field here. I'm going to avoid him at all I volunteer. I volunteer to play punt team, defense, punt return, kickoff, anything to not have to go over there. I'll just stay out here on the field and, uh, and be fine. All right, let's, let's take a break. We talked about Josh Allen coming tonight. Uh, yeah, the match. Yeah, the, something else I won't watch. A sporting event that isn't football that I won't watch. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen golfing tonight they it isn't it isn't it a slap in the face to the golfers they've done this for several years now and they would go 
non-golfer golfer versus non-golfer golfer. And now they've they've realized how boring pro golfers are. We're just we're just gonna we're gonna go all football players. We don't need the pro golfers. We see enough of you guys doing nothing and having not a whole lot of personality. Let's just go with all four quarterbacks. Well, I think it, it speaks to kind of what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Football's so king in the country right now that even like the America's like, ah, the hell with the golfers playing golf. I want to watch the football players play golf. I do think it's an interesting dynamic as far as this is concerned. Because you're going to have the old heads and Rodgers and Brady and, you know, we're, we're the man and we are the man and we're the standard in the NFL. I bet you they take it a lot more serious and want to win this where Mahomes and Allen are going to be loose and kind of want to put on a show and going to have fun. I'm going to go with Brady and Rodgers because they're going to be like ultra serious to try to put the young bucks in their place. I don't know. I think once once they get a couple of holes under their belts, I think the, the same qualities we see from Mahomes and Allen on the they'll football take over. Come out. They can crush oh, well, can it. I know me. that. You can you can you can tell me all about it tomorrow. Okay, I, I am I will. not certain of many things that I will be doing tonight, but one thing I'm certain of is I will not. It's not on NBC, is it? Is it on NBC? <laughs> I don't know. You keep talking. Uh, I will think? not. <laughs> I will not be. I will not be watching it. Uh, I can say. I'll say that even more. Aggressively, since it's not an NBC property. All right, the Chris Sims Top 40 Quarterback Countdown continues when PFT Live resumes right after this. All right, here we go. We continue our march to number one. We have worked our way from 40 to 22 on this program. Chris has also been discussing his Top 40 Countdown on Chris Sims Unbuttoned. But for our purposes, today we pull the sheet off of number 21. Daniel Jones of the New York football Giants. I saw him on the list of odds for comeback player of the year. Comeback to what? What's he ever been? This is year four and we're still waiting for him to arrive. You can't come back if you've never been. But that's where we are with Daniel Jones. This is the year. This is up or out. This is prove it or lose it. This is the year that they expect to see what Daniel Jones can do, as evidenced mm. by the fact that they didn't pick up the fifth-year option. Right. All eggs are in this basket. You've got him middle of the pack as yeah. far as the 40 goes. you got him at 21, so you see something there I do. that causes you to think there's a chance he can, he can continue the climb. Yeah, I mean, we've discussed this, right? I know we have a lot, and Daniel Jones and everything there. First off, he's one of the harder guys to evaluate on this whole thing because, yes, of what you're talking about. Yeah, he hasn't arrived or what. We don't know what he is yet because there's issues with that football team. I mean, issues. And, again, I'll say it. I know you're probably sick of hearing me say this. It wasn't just a battle line. It was clearly the worst offensive line in football the last two years. Not even close, everybody. I just need – everybody needs to understand that. Like, not even close. So, that's where he has not been given a chance. But, you know, the one thing you see is when their team is not totally overwhelmed, and you saw that in certain games this year – I mean, first off, he is smart. He sees the field, all right? He's got a good arm. It's not like a whoa laser arm like Patrick Mahomes, but it's a good arm like you'll see right here. I mean, his ability to step up in the pocket and throw a ball into a pretty tight window down the sideline, it's plenty strong enough to make game-changing type of throws, you know? He is a smart kid. At times, yes, can he hold in the po- hold the ball in the pocket too long? Yes, but here we go. 20-yard out route, mm, no problem, can throw it with ease. You know, sees matchups and understands what people are doing here. Catch, catches Marshawn Lattimore cheating. Hits Saquon Barkley down the sideline. The problem is, Mike, there's few games like this where you can go, oh, look, he's actually protected and the team's healthy and he can make some things happen. And then there's this aspect, too. 
So the physical talent's real with Daniel Jones, and that's where I don't think people give him enough credit. Again, there's only a handful of quarterbacks in football that can do this right here. Uh, This is special. I mean, he runs for 50 and 60-yard gains every year, a few times a year, and we act like it's nothing. So I don't know why we got Jimmy Garoppolo on there yet. We don't need to go there quite yet. <laughs> All right. But, you know, what? either way, what I would say with Daniel Jones is it's hard to know exactly. And here's it's, one it's other make, thing. It's to make Giants fans feel better about, about yes, Daniel Jones. Right. It could be worse. You could have Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, and, and the other thing I wanted to say, too, here is just with, you know, if you want to know how, like, good Daniel Jones is, and, again, yeah, there's not a good one, staring somebody down. Uh, trying to fit a ball into a tight window there. And again, but these are in situations where they're in deep crap a lot of these times, and he's got to force it. There's no excuse for this. This is stupid and a panic, and I don't know what he was doing there. But more times than not, you know, some of these mistakes too, okay, that's not his fault. He had 1.8 seconds to throw the ball, and he got hit in the blind side. You know, and then the offense is struggling, so you force things to happen. Now, ball security, things like that, it's got to be worked on. He still needs a better clock in the pocket like there just to have a feel of don't be such a robot, you know, get out, do some backyard football. Um, But here's the last thing I wanted to say, Mike, as I'm blabbering. I'm sorry. Daniel Jones is one of the best players on the New York Giants. If you don't think Daniel Jones was kind of good, look at what they looked like without Daniel Jones. You know, that's where I want to bring everybody back a little last year. When Daniel Jones was not in there, they were not even capable of getting first downs as a football team. And I know like people are thinking, well, that's strong. No, no, that's the truth. They were not capable of getting first downs without him in the game. And that's because his skill set and his ability to do some things on the field helped them out when they were on there certainly so yes i'm a little bit maybe higher than most with daniel jones when it just underscores the fact that they really don't have many great players right Right. now we did that draft last week of the best non-quarterbacks in the nfc east and it was woefully obvious that the giants are lacking when it comes to great talent other than the quarterback he's the best player on the team yeah what receivers are that great what yeah. running game? What what is there to so the defense isn't that good to help him out? I mean, it's there's nothing there that really gives him a fighting chance to really show us what he's got. And I think that's why, yeah, the Giants haven't done the fifth year option, but I think they've sent a lot of signals out too to go like, wait, we like this guy. There's a lot of things about him where we believe he can be the guy, but in that same vein, yes, he's had a few issues himself, but I think they also realize, like, man, we haven't given him a chance to even see exactly what he is, back to your point to start the segment here. You did catch a glimpse of Jimmy Garoppolo in that pack of plays from Daniel Jones, and there is a reason for that. And it's not just Giants fans should be glad their quarterback isn't Jimmy Garoppolo. They actually should prefer Garoppolo because under the Chris Sims top 40 quarterback countdown, Garoppolo comes in. At number 20, above Daniel Jones. There he is. What in the world is that? That was an F-bomb? There it is. I think that the was F-bomb. That <laughs> Dropping the F-bomb, Jimmy Garoppolo in at number 20. Uh, not really a surprise because that's about where he fits. I think so. That's about where he is. Now, Trey Lance was number 31 because he hasn't done anything yet. Right. And they're expecting Trey Lance to be a lot higher than 31 once he actually plays. But Garoppolo, a finished product who was drafted in 2014, 
We know who he is. We know what he is. And I think 20 is a fair spot to put him. I think it's realistically kind of where he is. It's the third year in a row I've kind of had him there. And I don't look back at last year's rankings and go, oh, wait, where did I have him? I can't move him too much. I don't, I don't do that. He's just one guy on this list that's kind of fell that way. And I think that's because this is kind of where he is, to your point. Hey, there's, there's a lot to like. And, you know, we'll talk about the Trey Lance aspect of this and what it does to the 49ers, you know, here in a second because I think that's a, a good point and we need to, to break that down a little bit. Hey, Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, physical talent, yes, it's not wowing. You know, decision-making, yeah, again, it's not wowing. It's good. It's not wowing. Now, his leadership and effect on the football team I do think is real, and that's really a a reason why I think it bumps him up maybe a few spots as compared to what he really is. He's pretty damn good in the pocket. As you see here, he's tough. He's got a quick release. He's sneaky in his ability to kind of change his arm angle and find little holes to throw the football there. He can get the ball out of his hands in 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 a hurry. And, you know, can diagnose and react to a defense in a way that's pretty special, too. But I think the thing is that we get back into, again, he makes mistakes, right? He's not necessarily trustworthy there. He does not have a big arm to make game-changing throws. He does very little of that. And when you really break him down, what I think, too, a lot of the times, you know, you look at stats and go, oh, they're not bad. But, man... You know, not a lot of big-time throws, not a lot of big-time throws down the field, outside the numbers, makes mistakes. And I think so many of his big plays are what I would call Shanahan specials, Mike, where I go, this was done, and or the success of this play was simple to the quarterback. This was the offensive coordinator. And this, again, it's, there's too much of this for a guy that's played a long time. You know, he does not make a ton of plays within the normal drop-back rhythm of a passing offense and leaves yards and plays on the field as much as anybody in the sport. First off, we'll throw a lot of dumb interceptions and missed targets like this. And, hey, this game, they were up 23-7 to the drive before this. He had a 10-yard out route wide open. They're going to get the first down, and it's going to be big trouble. He misses the guy by 10 feet. They don't get the first down. You know, so there's this as well. And, you know, doesn't throw the ball down the field at all. One of the shortest throwers in the game. Benefited for the best yards after the catch in the game. And what I try to explain to people is this is a good player. Sure, you can win with him. But for my rankings, this is about we're all on the same team. We all have the same offense. And I think a little bit of what we think is good about Jimmy Garoppolo is really more Shanahan than Garoppolo. And I think that's where people miss out on it a little bit, in my opinion. That's why we have the very strong opinion that Kirk Cousins, if he had gone to the 49ers, like even that throw there, they would have right. won a Super Bowl or two. That this is I all agree. that what what the 49ers offense does well isn't because of their quarterback; it's because of the guy who's drawing up the plays and calling them at the right times. Yes, exactly right. And then he goes, "I give him credit." Like I said, he makes some plays and does some things, but I think when you really break it down, you go, "Wait." You know, this guy was going this way. They shifted that way. This guy went this way. They faked the ball, and they threw the ball five yards over the middle to Debo Samuel. Like, well, whoop-de-doo. Every quarterback in football can do that. They just need a guy like Shanahan that can come up with all the other stuff to make the guy wide open to throw it. And that's where, again, he doesn't deliver a whole lot. And that's where, even though he's ranked above Trey Lance, All right. And I think, again, to my standard, we're all on the same team, the same offense. There's no Shanahan bump here. Even though I don't think Lance is as good as Garoppolo, Lance was Shanahan, and then his skill set 
And then what Shanahan can do off that, I still think can make them a more dangerous offense, even though I don't think Trey Lance is quite as good as Jimmy Garoppolo right now, but his ability to run, launch the ball down the field is going to give Shanahan some angles to play with to stress the defense to where, you know, I I don't think it's going to look less than, even though Trey Lance is less than Jimmy Garoppolo right now at this moment. If that makes sense. What's amazing is Garoppolo is parked at 20. He's eventually going to be a man without a country. He kind of is right now. The question is, where is he going to end up? Are they going to trade him? What are they going to do? Is there going to be a thought to let him compete with Trey Lance and maybe keep him for another year? I still feel like there's a certain element of the 49ers organization that would like to keep him around, if for no reason other than to try and hope and pray that they get a trade offer at some point. It's just an awkward situation for everyone, including Trey Lance, the guy that they need to be in the right frame of mind. You know, we talked earlier about Mac Jones, how much easier it is for him to lead this year. There's no Cam Newton. He's clearly the guy. It's a lot easier for him to take over. And I know Trey Lance is starting to do that to a certain extent at OTAs because Garoppolo isn't there. Yeah. But Garoppolo's going to be there at some point if they don't trade him. And we'll see. We'll see. And, hey, they've been apoplectic about the fact that no one has been willing to give them what they want for Garoppolo. We'll see. That shoulder yeah. presumably will heal at some point in the next couple of months, and we'll see if somebody gets the, the deal done, whether it's Carolina. I don't think Seattle wants him. I still think the Texans are a possibility. Yeah, I at see At some that. point, we'll just see right. how it all plays out. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, number 19 on the list, a name that definitely will surprise some, uh, uh, probably uh, the most of which, Jim Ursay. We'll unveil 19 <laughs> next on PFT Live. We'll be right back. <laughs> when, you know, when you know he's been in that situation where he has been traded by two teams per year, when you talk to him, what's your message to him? What, what was that oh, conversation? The, the message more so than anything else was that we believe in him. I mean, that's why we went and did it. You know, if we didn't, we wouldn't have done the things that we did. We wouldn't have committed what we committed. Um, you know, and, 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 and really to, to, to look at a young man who's – especially a guy of faith, to, 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 in my opinion, to show that you do believe and trust in him, I think that's a very big deal. And, and so and my intent was to make sure he knew it, to make sure he understood that it was, um, you know, because we believe in him, we want him here, um, that he is wanted here, and, and I think that helps make the transition a little bit easier. Ron Rivera believes. Chris believes he comes in at number 19, Carson Wentz. By way of the Eagles and the Colts, now the starter for the Washington Commanders. A lot of people would be surprised by that. And it's it's odd, and sometimes it's a little sad and unfair that narratives change so dramatically about a guy. And it's just kind of gotten baked in that Carson Wentz stinks. Yeah, he doesn't that's not stink. fair. He doesn't stink. He just didn't become the guy that we all thought he was going to be in 2017. And he's had some roadblocks. He's had some speed bumps. He's had injuries. He's been... Dogged by the idea that that you know teammates yeah don't like real. him nearly right. as much as they like Jimmy Garoppolo and that right. drags down his overall perception. It does, and, and listen, that's what kind of made it a little closer to a degree there, just between Garoppolo and Wentz, and in, in, in some degrees because yeah, Garoppolo does have a leadership effect on his football team. The locker room loves him. Wentz. it's two locker rooms in a row that we know that maybe doesn't love him or certainly isn't in love with him. That's for sure. You know, but the difference, I think, at the end of the day and why I put Carson Wentz a little in front of Jimmy Garoppolo is, hey, I mean, he still threw 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions. He did not have the offense the 49ers have. He didn't have the weapons. Yeah, he had a good running game. I know that. 
I get that. You have Michael Pittman Jr. That's not Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and Brandon Ayuk. I'm sorry. All right. So, and as you see here, Carson Wentz, what's different about him and Jimmy Garopp is he can really make some plays with his great physical ability. And you can call plays because you go, whoa, I mean, the guy's big. He's strong as hell. He moves pretty well. He's got a pretty strong arm. So it doesn't always have to be a coach special, I drew this play up, just throw the guy to this guy and he'll be wide open. He can make something happen on his own, let alone he is capable of running a system. So there is some laws of, there's a lot of positives with his physical ability that excite you for Carson Wentz. And I think, again, that's why he's on his third team as a starter. But it's the other stuff. It's the leadership like you're talking about. It's, you know, holding the ball in the pocket too long and, oh, wait, he's going to come open. I'm just going to keep staring this guy and oh, he's, I'm going to jam it in there. Or, you know, not getting off receivers or not giving up on a play. Just take the sack and said, yeah, well, it's pouring rain and we're going to try to shovel the, pa- shovel the ball, you know, 10 yards down the field with like the fastest ferocious defense in football all around me. It's these kind of things that bring down his stock ultimately, sometimes not having a feel for the overall game like this. It's 24-all with a minute left in the fourth quarter. You don't do that then, not even in peewee. So that's where I think it's unsettling. And for as talented as he is, yes, not always the greatest feel. You can't always trust him in situations like you see here. It's a 13-point lead. Why are you jamming the ball in between three Patriots when you're in total control of the game? Are you asking them to come back? I mean, that's where it's a little scary with him, and I don't think that gives teams the vote of confidence at all times because you're just not sure what you might get from him at times, especially in big it really is. A, it's amazing that the commanders pounced on him as quickly as they did. When And I, I remember when Gary Myers was trying to justify not putting Terrell Owens in the Hall of Fame, and he had some hyperbolic comment like five teams couldn't wait to get rid of Terrell Owens, which just wasn't true. But one team couldn't wait to get rid of Carson Wentz. They couldn't wait to get rid of him. Yes. I mean, they, they were, and they being owner Jim Ursay, he wanted that guy out of there so badly. He still keeps talking about he it does. now. Right. That's how much he hated Carson Wentz. Yeah. To me, that now look, look, you know, maybe maybe Jim Ursay's being a little irrational and unreasonable, but that would that would have given me pause if I was Washington. I just feel like Washington was so desperate to get somebody in that seat that they got the first guy they reasonably thought they could yeah, without recognizing maybe there were some other options out there if we'd have been a little more patient. Yeah, I, 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 I think there's probably a little panic there. You know, and I think, again, too, you, you probably look at it and go, wait, panic, I don't know what we're going to get. Are we going to get left out? Oh, wait, you turn on the Carson Wentz film, and like we were talking about, you see some things where you go, you're like we talk about with all coaches, right? They think they can coach the bat out of that guy. I'm going to change him. I'll make him different. So you turn on the film and you go, whoa, there's something to work with here. He can make some plays and do some stuff now. But, yes, the leadership's in question. You know, the overall just give up on the play, take the sack, throw the ball away, don't put us in a bad position. Wait, why am, Why has the ball hit the ground so many times today? Because he won't, sticks on a receiver. And, you know, there's too many games like that too, Mike, where I watch plays back from the throws of the season and go, man, like, there's people open here, but he was so intent on going to have to throw to this guy, he just threw it to him, and the ball was rolling down the field as an incompletion. And he's got to clean some of that up if he wants to continue to be a starter in the NFL. You know, I saw the quote recently where Troy Aikman said that this is Carson Wentz's last chance, and people acted like that was some sort of great revelation or 
hot take. Of course it's his last chance. Yeah. Of course it's his last chance. Of course, it, who else is going to give him a shot to be a starter if it doesn't work for the commanders? He's had his opportunities. Last year with the Colts, there was some good, there was some bad, but there was more than enough bad at the end of the day to make Jim Irsay want to get rid of him, That's even right. though they gave up plenty to get him and they weren't going to double down on their mistake. This guy is gone. If he doesn't make it happen in Washington, it's over, it's done. And then the question is, will a team even regard him as a potential backup option and uh maybe no one will maybe he'll just be done if it doesn't work out in washington but that gives ron rivera i think an even greater ability to be the guy who gets through to carson wentz and i can understand why ron rivera you know every football coach thinks they're going to be the one to get through to a guy that others haven't gotten through to but ron rivera has a hell of a weapon here with carson wentz hey carson this is it for you this is it it's done You know, he had safe harbor last year in Indianapolis, and he was allowed to leave Philadelphia thinking maybe he had won because he's going to Frank Reich. Frank wants me. Frank knows me. Frank gets me. He understands me. They were wrong about me in Philadelphia. Well, nope, nope. Now the Colts kicked you out. Right, right. This is it. It's down to one shot. And if Ron Rivera plays that up just right, we we may see the best version of Carson Wentz that we've seen since 2017. Yeah, maybe. You know, again, that's what's it, it's it's interesting about the guy, and you know the leadership and communication in the locker room, and you know sounds like he can be a little tough to coach at times, and almost like not really, you know, realistic about what's going on around him or anything there, but. The thing that, you know, you come back to with even these mistakes and, and, and like we saw last year, playing his worst really in some of the biggest moments, and I don't think that helped him with Indianapolis either. And then, of course, the COVID issues, and, hey, he's banged up a little bit. But the silver lining in all that is what you're bringing up. 2017 was special. 2019, even though he got hurt in that wild card game against the Seahawks, damn, was he really freaking good coming down the stretch and carrying that football team. And I think that's what Washington's going to hope to get is they can, you know, capture some of that Wentz magic in a bottle there and keep it going. And Ron Rivera can maybe mold it the way he wants to. All right, let's take a break. The SEC meetings are underway, Uh which means we get a chance to revisit one of the all-time best football feuds, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher, round two or hatchet buried or somewhere in between. We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. AM was first. AM bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right, we didn't buy one player. All right, but I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. It's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. It's ridiculous, but when, when he's not on top and the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past. Yes, my dad always told me this. When people show you who they are, believe them. He's showing you who he is. You can call me anything you want to call me. You ain't call me a cheat. I don't cheat and I don't lie. So I learned that when I was a kid. If you did, the old man slapped you side of the head. Maybe somebody should have slapped him. 
it just gets better the more nobody I called see him it. a cheat or a liar though that's where Jimbo Fisher went personal and, and Nick Saban did not go personal on him he just explained that they they paid players he didn't say it was against well, the law or call him a cheater or a liar or anything here's where it becomes complicated and nuanced you still can't pay the players your boosters and others connected to the program can set up the name, image, and likeness deals that attract the players to come there. The programs technically aren't allowed to be part of that, and that's where Saban blurred the lines by saying Texas A&M bought their players. That implies they affirmatively went out yeah. and found a way to gather the cash necessary to pay for the player to come join the program. He said what he said. It was very broad, and then he got specific with Texas A&M and also got Jackson State and Deion Sanders involved in some of the things that were said. So that reaction by Fisher really was over the top. And, I mean, he threw some haymakers at he really Saban did. and raised some questions. Go see how God did his deal. I love that saying. Um, and, and, you know, implying, maybe even more than implying, just flat-out claiming that there was cheating throughout Nick Saban's career when there was parity of resources and everything was equal, that that God was doing his deal in a different way that was allowing him to get all these great players. And, of course, I, as I said at the time, well, Jimbo Fisher would know. He coached with him. Why, why do we need to go to talk to anybody else, Jimbo? Just keep talking. Tell us what you know. Nobody needs to go dig anything up. You apparently know. Why are you holding it back? That's one thing that disappointed me a couple of weeks ago because he apparently does know if there is something to say yesterday Nick Saban had something to say at the SEC meetings as he was pressed a little bit a little bit it was it was uh, kind of unusual to see Nick Saban backpedal let's have a look and a listen at what he had to say yesterday on the topic of Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M buying players um, what evidence did you have that uh, Texas A&M bought its entire recruiting class? You know, I, I, I didn't really say that anybody did anything wrong. Well, you said they bought their recruiting class. I didn't say anybody did anything wrong, okay? And I've said everything I'm going to say about this. But, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I guess the point, and I should have ne never mentioned any individual institutions, and I said that before, is Jimbo lying when you say when he says that uh, that they didn't do anything? I have no problem with Jimbo. I have no problem with Jimbo at all. Hey, hey, the body language is great. The body language is great. He 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 says I have no problem with Jimbo at all, and he digs his fingers into his armpits like the old character from SNL. Remember the what was her name? Uh, I can't remember the name of the actress, and I can't remember the name of the character. Something Mary Catherine, who's Molly Shannon, playing that superstar character, she would get nervous and do that and then smell her fingertips. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> Mary Catherine Gallagher. That's Nick Saban doing his unintentional Mary Catherine Gallagher superstar imitation. So, uh, yeah, that, uh, I just I love having the video to go along with the audio, who clearly has a problem. With Jimbo Fisher. I mean, Jimbo Fisher called the guy a chronic and pathological cheater. Yeah, he went personal on him. That's, that's where I don't How agree do you with not Jimbo have Fisher a problem there. with Jimbo yeah. Fisher? Right. How do you take the high road on that unless you're concerned that if we are going to roll around here in the mud, we are both going to end up being pretty damn dirty? Well, I'm sure everybody's got a little bit of mud in college football. How could they not? It's an environment that's got, you know, it, 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 it cries for that. 
if you don't get a little mud on you, you can't win in college football. I mean, it seems that way. Again, but, you know, again, I, I think Nick Saban to where I, again, will be on his side is I just don't feel like he was trying to bring up a broader point in college football, and I don't think he was trying to accuse them as cheating. I don't think he was. You know, he probably should have been a little bit more forthcoming or transparent there. I think he was just trying to say, listen, through the NIL deals, they've gotten and paid all their players, and he was trying to raise an issue about that. But I, I don't know. To me, yes, I think Jimbo Fisher kind of crossed the line where, I mean, Nick, Nick Saban never said Jimbo Fisher's name, never made a personal check, and Jimbo Fisher went scorched earth. And I, I don't know. I come away still being on Team Saban, let alone Saban's been at Alabama forever. And like we talked about with, you know, Tony Busby earlier and all that, like – it's been there, it's been LSU, and we've had very little to nothing over the years about shady stuff that's gone on you know, with Nick Saban programs. And I think there's probably more out there about Jimbo Fisher and those programs and maybe some of the things he did at Florida State you know, where we can look back and go, I think there's more there than any time at Nick Saban and stuff. So that's where I won't agree with Jimbo Fisher totally on this one. It really is amazing that it blew up the way it did and it's not going to go away anytime soon and Saban is going to be dealing with this forever let, let me just and and Fisher too it binds them together for as long as they're still coaching it is getting a little ridiculous so I'm not going to identify the person who tweeted this yesterday who are passing this around along the PFT writers among the PFT writers as the case may be just one letter off Nick Saban just crossed paths with Jimbo Fisher in the Hilton lobby here at the SEC meetings. Nick was walking by. Jimbo was in the cafe on the phone and never saw him as his back was to him. Okay. Breaking news. Jimbo Fisher does not have eyes growing out of the back of his head. I mean, but that, that's, that's kind of where we are because everybody's watching now. Jimbo and Nick, what's going to happen next? Ooh, they crossed paths. No, they didn't because Jimbo didn't see him. But that's the kind of granular specific coverage that this fight is going to elicit because it is so damn compelling whatever happens next i don't care i just want something to happen next what happens next here is we take a break when we return we will draft the best non-quarterbacks in the nfc south we'll do that next on this wednesday not thursday or tuesday edition of pft lock the nfc south has at least one very great quarterback all the other great quarterbacks are are now gone. Cam Newton's gone. Matt Ryan's gone. Drew Brees is gone. They still have Tom Brady. They've got some pretty good non-quarterbacks, and they've added one. Defensive tackle Akeem Hicks, who had been with the Bears, previously with the Saints and the Patriots, signs a one-year deal worth up to $10 million with the Buccaneers. He takes Indomitian Sue's spot. Sue had been there three years. No fourth year for Sue. Hicks is in. Sue is out. It's Hicks and Vita Vea. Holy crapola. Lineman. Yes. I, I, I mean, it, to me, I think this is a phenomenal signing. I mean, for Akeem Hicks, of course, too, he wants to win a Super Bowl. But, damn, I mean, the rich get richer. The Buccaneers, their defensive line, as talented as they are, Akeem Hicks is still really dominant. He's got up there in years a little bit, and he's had, what, two out of three years where he's missed a little football, certainly, and there's been some injuries. But, man, if he is healthy – he is an upgrade over Ndamukong Su, who I don't mean any disrespect to. is still playing at a, a pretty damn high level. But Hicks can, like, ruin games still. 
like we saw. Remember two years ago, the cold night? I think it was like against the Minnesota Vikings. It was a game. I mean, he was throwing around Dalvin Cook, and after him, uh, he is still a phenomenal football player. He's going to add value to that defense, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. The key is health, and and this is 10 years out for him. This is season number 11, so at some yeah. point, yeah. you're talking about playing interior defensive line the body starts to break down all right let's look at the best non-quarterbacks in his new division the nfc south will he be one of our picks chris go ahead and make a selection well it's the nfl it's 2022 i'm gonna go with the best receiver in the division and that's dj moore from the carolina panthers that's right wow. yes sir wow. yes that's who i think is the most dangerous receiver in the division. There's a lot of good ones, and that's no disrespect to Mike Evans or Michael Thomas or anything like that. But DJ Moore, to me, again, if he was on a team that was had Joe Burrow and the Bengals, we'd be sitting there going, man, he's, is he up there with Jamar Chase? He is the guy that can catch screens like we talk about, Mike, and go 60 to the house or slant or whatever, let alone just beat you down the field. He's one of those receivers that's kind of got a running back body. I think he's a phenomenal player. He just He's in Carolina, and not everybody knows about him. Well, and I interviewed Scott Fitter, the GM of the Panthers, a couple of weeks ago, and we got into the whole receiver dynamics and copycat league and Debo Samuel ball in his hands, and it, it kind of came around to the possibility that we're going to see DJ Moore I wouldn't be in shocked. that capacity yeah. for the Carolina Panthers. I'm going to go Alvin Kamara. He's yeah. still one of the most dynamic running backs in the NFL, the most important player on that offense, the guy who binds together the running game and the passing game. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many more great years he has left, but I still think he's smack dab in the middle of his prime. He's got that off-field issue hanging over him that we haven't heard much about since the week after the Pro Bowl where the allegations arose and the arrest happened at the Pro Bowl itself. But Kamara's still a great, great player. Great player. He really is. I mean, he's awesome in, in all phases of the game, pass game, run game. He's awesome. And uh, hopefully he can be healthy all year long, too. With those new weapons, they got a receiver – you know, Michael Thomas being healthy, Jameis Winston year two in the system a little bit. Uh, they could be a little bit of a dangerous offense, no doubt about it. I think that I'm going to go with the guy you kind of brought up a minute ago. I'm going to go with Vita Vea. I, to me, Vita Vea is one of the best defensive tackles in football. He is a F the play up guy that the stats will not tell you how many times he screwed over the offense in a football game. He can bust through that offensive line and get pressure right in the quarterback's face. He's unblockable in the run game. Uh, I love watching Vita Vea, and I don't think it's any surprise that their defensive line became that much more dominant when he got healthy on the way to their Super Bowl and, of course, helped them beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in that Super Bowl. I am going to go with the guy who has been in the league since 2014 and who has had 1,000 receiving yards or more every single season. Yeah, good. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 28 straight years a thousand yard seasons. No one else has ever done that. Special. Mike Evans, uh, and taken for granted because he's not a guy that that is looking for a lot of adulation and nope. praise. He just goes about his business, does what he's expected to do, does it as well as anyone. And hey, he's got his Super Bowl ring. That's good. But he still doesn't get the respect and the notoriety he deserves. No. So I'll go Mike Evans. It's amazing. Eight straight thousand yard seasons. Yeah, he's he's. You know, he's slowly, quietly, like, becoming one of the best receivers of the generation. Uh, and he, he did not get the respect. A little bit like what we talked about with DJ Moore. You know, early in his career, they just weren't good enough and not on the national scene enough for people to go, whoa, who is this guy that's 6'5 and runs 4'4 all over the field? You know, that, and, and people are finally realizing it. 
but he's not even as physically gifted as he was three or four years ago, and he's still awesome. So I'm with you there. It's a good pick by, uh, for, for Mike Evans all the way. All right, let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll wrap up PFT Live and our draft for the best non-quarterbacks in the NFC South right after this. All right, there are the first two rounds of the best non-quarterbacks in the NFC South draft on this Wednesday edition of PFT Live. Chris, you are up for round number three. Man, there's a lot of good ones still out here. I mean, holy cow. You know, you talk about Tristan Wirfs, Derek Brown, Christian McCaffrey, Brian Burns, Ryan Ramchek. I mean, Michael Thomas. I'm going to go with Marshawn Lattimore, though. I am. Marshawn Lattimore is the best corner in the division. He's still one of the best corners in football. He's one of the few people that can actually match up with the guy that you just drafted before, Mike Evans, and go, okay, wait, I'm okay on an island against this guy all game long. That's rare. I mean, this guy's a talented football player. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore, my third pick. Didn't he and Evans get into a fight one yeah, time? Are those I think the so. two guys they, I'm thinking of? They've yeah. gotten into a few little scuffles. There's no doubt there's a little rivalry there. I'll go Christian McCaffrey. Kyle I know Pitts, he's been too. Injured. Damn. Yeah. I know. I know. Nobody I from know. the Falcons, but the Falcons got some work to do to put a good roster together. But Christian McCaffrey, when healthy, is phenomenal. He just hasn't been healthy the past couple of years. And it's not his fault. It's the position. People get mad at him. Oh, he got that big contract, and then he's gotten hurt. That's the position he plays. It was smart for him to get the big contract after three years. Because you know what? If he hadn't gotten it then, he probably wouldn't have gotten it later, Chris, because he has been injured a lot since he signed that deal. Yeah, I know. That's the sweet spot for teams. They got to figure out the risk-reward there. You know, yeah, you play two, three years in the NFL, and a team rides you hard. You're going to be worn down. You're going to be susceptible to injury, and that's the, the risk with running back. And, you know, it's unfortunate, no doubt. I won the draft today, though, just to let you know. Okay, sure. No, that's, you, you get the prizes uh, in the mail. It's another African goose. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow. See ya.